with us this whole fall. You'll remember that we did Judges during the fall and finished up a couple of weeks ago. And we sort of left Judges in, with two sort of ideas. There were multiple ideas, but here's two I want to remind you of. One, as we studied the book of Judges, was that we walked away with an account uh, where our sinful hearts would lead us if they were unchecked. Like we could find ourselves doing things we never thought we could do particularly even God's people, not just people who don't know God, but it was God's people and judges, and they did awful things. And a heart and a person unchecked by any king or any rule where you can go is a difficult, it can wind up in a terrible place. But we were also sort of left at the end of the book where we were hopeless unless someone could step forward. If you remember, the book ended with there was no uh, king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was sort of a hopeless place. It didn't end very well. And we were left saying, well, is, it, this is a mess. Life is a mess. Is anyone, can anyone, is anyone able to help us? And uh, it, it ends pretty abruptly. And we're left crying and looking for God just to stop the brokenness cycle. And there was no judge that could do it. It was a study of 12 judges that came. And none of those judges, as military leaders and political leaders, none of them could really solve the problem of God's people. There would come a little bit of a change, but not a whole lot. And uh, we're left hopeless. Can anybody really help us? And that's why we have finished here in Revelation for our Advent season as we go into the Christmas season. Um, we're left with this angel, as it says in verse 2. He asks the same question. It's the hopelessness that was in Judges as well. Who is a, a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice? Who is worthy to open a scroll and to break its seals? That angel was asking about uh, a scroll that you saw in our spat passage. And this scroll represents, depends on how you think about Revelation. Which, by the way, we realize it's an odd book. <laughs> There's angels and demons and horses and, and uh, lambs with eyes. And we've looked at some of that symbolism in our passage last week. But, um, but the angel is asking the same question about this scroll. Is anyone worthy? And the scroll here, the symbolism of the scroll, is really... Depending on how you look at Revelation, but for sure it's this. It's futuristic in this sense. Will anyone fix the problem? But also it's already happened. The Lamb has come. And in all of history, meaning unless God is in this, unless he's intervened, all the whys in life and all the pains and all the struggles and all that you've been through, is there any reason for it? Is there any hope for it? Is anyone, otherwise we're just left with a scroll. It's sealed completely. Is there anyone powerful enough to, to take this thing and make sure that there's a redemptive story in this? And um, so much so that John, who's the author of Revelation, he begins to weep as God is showing him this vision of the circumstance of the world. Now, you have to think, now, this is now and future and eternal. This is a vision of God. And so this scroll is really thinking about all of history, and I think all of the history to come when Jesus will return, all that has happened. But is anyone worthy to handle all of life and all this means and ensure that there's a good thing for God's people? By the way, God's people at this point are on the precipice of being ruled for the next 300 years with profound Murder and chaos and prosecution, unlike any Christians I've seen probably in history still to this point. Nero and the Roman Empire will kill for 300 years. That's longer than the history of our country. They would have persecution. 
And so Revelation was written in a sense. John is getting this vision. Although, remember, he's an apostle who's been with Jesus so that God and his people can be comforted and understand, yes, in this mess, it's going to be okay. There's, there's someone who's ruling. It doesn't mean everything will go well. People were dying and awful things were happening. But is there hope? I need to know that. And so that's really the book. If you were to ask me what's the, one of the purposes of Revelation is a book that's prophecy, and many, many in history won't write commentaries because we don't know what all it means. But one thing is clear is that it was a book of vision given to John, the last living apostle, to comfort God's people. And so that's what he's doing. So last week, when we answered this question, who is worthy to open a scroll, we established, I established last week, that is the lion and the lamb. Jesus is the one who's worthy, only him. And this week, what we're going to answer is this question, why is he worthy to do it? If he is the one who's worthy, why is he worthy? And the passage will tell us. Who, he's the one, and uh, that's our question today. It's the real question that people ask. Um, you may feel like that's not an important question, uh, but why is he worthy? Uh, judges reminds us that you better be clear why God is worthy or you'll move away from him. They clearly didn't know why God was worthy to be king and to be worshipped. The one who had brought him out of Exodus and out of captivity. It's an important question. As a matter of fact, Tyler and I were talking this week before he knew he was not going to be preaching, but he was talking about how often a couple of students have even recently have asked him, why is God, is Jesus worth being king in my life? Who says that he gets to be king? Why is he worth it? What gives him the, the uh, qualifications to do that? This passage answered that. Actually, I know Tyler said because he's a king who laid down his life for you. And um, so that's the question, the real question. So um, if you were to come to me and ask me why, uh, if, if say you were to come to me and say, do you love your wife, Brittany? I'll go, yes. Oh, I love her. But if you were to ask me, why do you love her? Why do you love her, Shane? And if I were to stutter through that, go blank-faced, struggle to answer that question, which, by the way, I love doing premarital counseling, and I'll meet with people and start meeting with them and say, yo, you love each other. Yeah, we love each other. Why do you love each other? Ooh, they get nervous. <laughs> it is a harder answer, maybe. One that we don't think about, the whys all the time. But if I struggle to tell you why I love her, then you would question the claim of whether or not I love her. And so we'd established last week that Jesus is worthy. But the passage also tells us here in Revelation why he's worthy. And listen, church, today you probably won't learn things new necessarily. And that's not really it. Like, when we come together as God's people, the purpose we gather is not, it's not instructional. It's not so I can stake a claim for all the cultural wars and you can know where we stand. It's not about me impressing you with some new doctrine that you need to learn today. You want to know why God's people gather? Many of you know the Bible so know better than me in many ways. You know why we gather? Because we have amnesia. And this world is broken. And we gather so we can look to our left and our right and realize that people have the same questions we have. And we need to be reminded that there is one who is worthy. We lose and forget the sight. We forget why he is worthy. 
And so every Sunday is really, if, I'm, if Kevin and I, are, our teachers are doing a good job, we're just turning the diamond for you. I mean, it would wear you out if everything you came away with, all right, four more things you need to do, and four more things you need to do, and four more. That's not Christianity, by the way. We're not a people who accomplish anything apart from God. Well, Christianity is not God saving good people or that you're earning his favor. Christianity is that we've blown it, and we're terrible, and we need a Savior to come. And the judges didn't offer one, but there is one worthy who came, and we need to be reminded of that. That is why we gather. So I hope to remind you today why he is worthy. Just from this passage, the Bible gives all other reasons, a lot of other reasons. But why is he worthy? That's important. You know I'm an Alabama football fan, right? And there's this game that's a really, really big deal to Alabama people. It's against Auburn. Is Dr. Nash here? Um, it's called the Iron Bowl. So your, your whole life is around that game in Alabama. If you really grew up there, when you're born, they declare left or right, Auburn, Alabama. Um, and they have played over about 100 years of games. And there's lots of losses and wins. But there's two games I'll offer today. They're an infamous and it will go down in history. There's the kick six where Auburn broke Bama's heart four or five years ago. And a guy returned a 109-yard field goal which is a rule nobody really knew that you could return those the note with one second left on the clock and he returns it to beat Alabama. That thing has been on television forever. <laughs> and then this year, Alabama has fourth and 31 and they win in an unconventional crazy way. So here's the point. There's lots of games they win, but, but why are those games so important? It's how they were won. It's what they, it's how they were won that matters. And so you'll see here in the verse 5 that we learn that why is the lamb worthy? The first thing we learn is that the elder comes and says, Weep no more to John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He's conquered. That's why he's worthy. He's a lion. Lions can conquer. Their power, the strength, the symbolism of that. He is conquered. So it's not just that he won the game, but it's how he won the game that's impressive. Just like in Alabama. Why are those games? It's not that they just won. Those games are famous because how they won. And so it is. Jesus conquered death, and life and our sin and us and our selfish beings. He conquered sin by his power, his life, death and resurrection on the cross. He conquered it. But the passage also tells us how he conquered. And that's why they worship him. How did he do it? How did he conquer them? We'll look at that with this way. We'll look at three things. We'll look at he conquered uh, by how he conquered that's why he's worthy, because he did conquer, and he conquered in a way that makes it beautiful. He conquered by the sacrifice he made, the salvation he won, and the status that he gave. That's how he won. That's what makes it unbelievably memorable for you today. Lord, would you help us as we look at this sweet uh, reality, this beautiful truth? Would you help Every person here today who, who is weeping, there's something that we're weeping over. Maybe not literally, but we're weeping over many things. We weep over just the culture in our community and the brokenness in our culture, God. We weep over the school systems and the children and the 
and the crime and the homelessness in our own community. We weep over the brokenness of the homes and the pain that's inflicted by each of us towards one another. And we, we weep over sickness and, and death. And we weep over that we never do what we set out to do. No one ever executes things all the way perfectly. And if we do happen to do it one time, the next day we do something we don't. And we, we find ourselves in many ways weeping because we need to know that there's someone ruling. And so uh, would you help us this morning to just for this moment to see, believe that you're worthy because you conquered. And would you, would you make it beautiful how you conquered? How you conquered sin, how you conquered, how you ruled. Would you help us to see that in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, so as we move in, we're just going to start. Uh, with verse 6 from there down, you can some of the other verses you can hear from last week and some of the truths I can't cover everything, but we'll just work down and we'll land with those sort of three points. A sacrifice made, a salvation won, and a status that was given, or a status that he gave. How did he conquer? So let me remind you just that this is a vision of John. Uh, John is an exile on the island of Patmos. He is the under Roman uh, rule and has been, uh, will be poisoned and martyred for his death. He's there writing some books and God gives him a vision to give to God's people. He writes this down. This is the book of Revelation. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and John the Gospel. All right, so he is an apostle. He's the last living one. At this point, they've all been martyred. He's the last living one. Now that's symbolic in some sense that God makes sure that the last guy tells us what, he need, what we need to know. And the point is you're going to be comforted. But there's a king, there's a lion and a lamb. So he, in chapter 4, he's walked this vision. God has brought him into a, a throne room. And he's looking around and seeing all these things. And so he's, what he's seeing is symbolic of things that he would understand, particularly in the first century church and as a Jew. He would understand those things. Many of these things were like, well, I don't know what that means. I mean, why seven? Seven's a number of completion to God's people. Why horns? Horns were symbolic of power. And uh, so it's seven horns, complete power. You'll see lots of symbolism like that. So now he, um, look, I'll start with him in verse 6. And it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures, um, among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain, and the seven horns of his eyes and the seven spirits of God is sent out everywhere. Now what, what I want you to see here is that this, uh, that the lamb who has been slain, he's bleeding, he is, he, but he's standing. And, um, but notice this, he's between the throne and he's between the living creatures. That was something I didn't point out last week, but that's important to see. He's the go-between, between God and man. Jesus became fully man, although he was fully God. And notice between the elders and his living creatures, which are really hard to know what those are. But we know that the elders symbolize the church and his people. Someone, ha he's doing this standing between us and God. We needed a mediator. Because listen, the problem with the scroll that made it why we weep is guess what? Is because of our sin and what we've contributed to this fall. Our sin contributes, your sin and our sin make this world heinous. Because we contribute to the sin that is multiplying in this world. As a matter of fact, we ourselves, apart from God, if you don't know him, you are known as an enemy of God. So Jesus had to stand between those who were enemies of God, which is all 
all people who are, all human beings are enemies of God unless a mediator makes it right and restores them to God. So he's standing between God and his people. Notice that. So in verse 7 and 8, he takes the scroll. You see that? And, um, and, we, and he's taking the scroll. And the, and the living creatures, we learn in verse 8, is that they just break out in worship. And uh, everything, the living creatures and the elders and the meaning of all the earth erupts into a song of praise declaring the worthiness of the Lamb. So the response, once he takes it, is boom! And it's just singing. And it's jubilee. And the heavens in this vision are singing. Everything is. There was no hope. There was weeping. And now there is. And the response is to sing. And this is where we'll spend the rest of the time. And notice, and they sang a new song, saying... And we'll look at that. So the new song. Notice that language of a new song. Now, we love music, don't we? I mean, isn't, I mean, do you not know, even if you're terrible at music or tone deaf like some of us are here, um, but you still love music. You even mark your life by songs you can remember. If I were to play something from the 70s or 80s, you can tell me. I do. I'm like, oh, I know where I was when I did that. Or I was where that song reminds me of this in my phase of life. Why is it? Because, because song means something to us. Because here's the reason. You were made to sing. Do you know theologians believe that some of the, some, it's a historical narrative, the Christians, the, uh, the beginning of Genesis 1, but it's really a song. That it's a poem that he's reading. You see the rhythm, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. There's a rhythm to how the historical narrative starts. When man and human beings, when Adam and Eve were there, you know what they did? We believe that Adam sung a song. He said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I don't know how he put that to a beat, but he put it. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's you, Eve. God gave you that. He's singing a song. We sing a song. Hannah sang a song. Mary sang a song. One day we will be singing a song. You were made to sing, and we sing. Because singing comes from within. It connects to our souls. And at this moment, what you should conclude is that they're singing a new song. And every time this idea, this phrase, the new song is mentioned in the Bible, it's usually in the Psalms where you see it. And it usually means that it's a song of victory, a song of, of triumph. And so, but there's also an element. So they're clearly, it's triumphant. We're going to win. The game will be won. We're winning. Jesus has won. The lion and the lamb conquered, and he's coming. And so they're singing a new song in this victory. I also think that there's something beautifully new about it. Notice it says it's a new song. And in the word, in the, in the Greek, it carries the idea that there is something. It's not just renewal. It's new. Like it's not quoting something else in the Bible. It's a new song. It's like I see him. At some level, I would offer this for us as human beings. We ought to always keep writing songs. We get to always keep writing hymns. Because we can't explore the depth, the width, the height of God's love and who he is in his character. We will sing in one sense. We will have a melody in our hearts that we will be singing in the new heavens and new earth. We won't be flying around. And, and uh, we will be working because God's a worker. And we'll be working and cultivating the new earth. There will be a new place here on earth that we will be working, but we will sing something within us. We will whistle while we work. I don't know. You know I don't know if that's true of the seven dwarfs. In some sense, it will be because we'll have a new song in our heart, and this is the song they begin to sing immediately. And so we get to, worthy are you to take the scroll to open the seals, and here's where we get to the first part. Why? How did he conquer? Why is he worthy? Because he conquered. And what makes it even more beautiful is how he conquered. 
This is why he's worthy. You are worthy. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open it to slant the seals. Now, here, by the way, let me just pause. Remember the elder came. He came. The elder came to John and said, the lion has conquered. But when John pivots to look at the throne, he sees a lamb. And the beauty of who God is, is that he's both. He is the most powerful, sovereign. You think lion, you think a predator who destroys and goes after and can conquer and overcome. That's a symbol of that. But a lamb is one who is powerless and can do nothing and is kind and can be held and is near. And what God makes God beautiful in many ways, in his holiness, but is this idea that he is, all of majesty is in him, and yet he's also meek. And yet he has all wisdom, an incommunicable attribute of who he is, that he has without limit in his wisdom. And yet he can communicate the gospel and talks and parables to his people in such profound simpleness. And so we move from this lion to the lamb. How did the lion conquer? Not by his might, although he could have. He conquers as a lamb as well. And God highlights that here. So the first thing we learn is that he was slain. For you were slain. That's what they tell us. John has already told us in his other gospel that God created the world, that God was there in the beginning. He made the world. He was part of the speaking it into existence. And yet, at the same time, this God who is actually holding the world together dies. He was slain. He was murdered. And he was murdered because there was penalty needed to be extra, <laughs> needs to be extracted for the sins of people. And he will die. He says he will die for it. He was slain. He was murdered. So I don't know how to say that. We could go into all kinds of ways to say that. But here's the thought I'll give you today why this is a big deal. If we were to go to battle tomorrow, would our president go die? No, he'd be protected and send people out. How did all kings in all of history, did they go ahead? No, they sent their workers out. But guess what this king does? He's not protected in the open room. He becomes the lamb. Profound thought. This king died. He was slain. He wasn't just leading you into battle just to, to, and conquering. He also says, I will be the sacrifice. I will be the payment for what is owed for your sin. I will be murdered. I will be slain. And therefore, they're singing. The king was slain. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his brethren. Romans 5 and 8 tells us that maybe you would die for a good person, maybe a, a really a righteous person, but no one will die for their enemy. Yet he, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died. The king's not just dying for his people, he's dying for his enemies. That's you and me. We weren't with him in that fight. We were on the other side. And yet our king was slain to bring us to his side. That must make him worthy. Remember his death. Then we get to the next part, and it says, here's where the salvation is won. And by your own blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. Salvation was won 
Notice that. He ransomed them. Now, this is interesting, I, I think, in that most of the time the word ransomed, this particular word in the Greek, most of the time in the Bible, as 30 places I think it is, it was translated purchased or uh, to buy back, sort of the redeem. So it's this idea of purchasing in the marketplace, that there was, a, there was an exchange that was made. But this one time, most translators translate it to be ransomed, not purchased or bought us, but he ransomed. And I think it's because of the context. Because the idea here is that we were captive. This isn't just an exchange. This is a rescue mission. Just like it was in Exodus, they were captive. And just like the rescue and the judges they needed, he ransomed, he died, and his blood was used to ransom, to pay the purchase, but to bring us out of the captivity that we're in. What was that captivity? It's the captivity of sin and of darkness. There is one, an evil one. There is darkness. And Americans, we don't think that. There is an unseen world. And there's a principality of darkness called the devil and his demons. And they leave. And he hates anything the church is doing as God. There is an unseen world. But there's also our sinful flesh. And the other thing we're being rescued from is the kingdom of self, which is what judges taught us. That there's either two kingdoms that are being built in the world. It's your kingdom and kingdom of self, which operates under the kingdom of the devil, but the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of self is a miserable way to live. And it will take you places you never would thought it would be. And we fight wanting every day to wake up and build the world around ourselves. We process every hurt. We process every pain. We process everything in light of our own writing of the scroll, if you would, that we know how the scroll ought to be written. But he ransomed us out of the miserable living of self. You don't believe me? Just do a test this Christmas when you're with your people, when you're with your family, and let, tell everybody, everybody do whatever you want and don't think about anybody else. That's usually what's happening anyway. Everybody's trying to overcome that, right? It's miserable. It's miserable to live in a world where people don't think of the great, what does it mean to be a Christian? And what's the law say? Jesus summarized it, to love God and love people. It's outward facing. And this king has ransomed us from the, the kingdom of self. He brought us from that kingdom. He paid it. Now notice one of the beautiful things there is the scope of that. You couldn't buy yourself out of it. He has to do it. You couldn't get out of this kingdom. He rescues you out of it. But also notice that it, the breadth of it, that it goes to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so what it means is, what we're learning here at this point is that not every person in the world will be saved, but we do know that from every tongue, tribe, and nation will be represented in heaven. The diversity of the world will be represented completely in heaven. And by the way, John would have known this because you remember the Abrahamic covenant where the Tower of Babel had just happened. And they were arrogantly building this tower, and they had one language. God frustrates them in their arrogance and gives them different languages so they can't communicate anymore. But then the Abrahamic covenant comes right after that and says, Go, therefore, and your offspring will be as numerous as the stars to every tribe and nation. Although he scatters the people, God will bring people back out of every tongue, tribe, and nation. The hope, the hope of missions is not 
how we, well we present it. The hope of missions is because he has ransomed, he's already ransomed people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That makes him worthy. And they sing. And then lastly, the status that is given to those he ransoms. He dies for them and they ransom and look at the status. And you have made them, talking about the ones he purchased, a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Our status that comes from what was slain and what he ransomed us is that of little kings. There's a true king, and we're sort of representatives of him. And not only that, we're family members, and we're, we are priests, and we inherit, inherit everything. We will, we will be the priestly breath of this world. It's the garden is restored. That's what happened. He made a kingdom, and he says, uh, he put man in it, and he says to rule over it and bear my image. Bear and live this way. I give you authority over the creation that I've created. And then he saves us again, and he gives us, makes us priests, and gives us a status. Our status is not earned. Our status is not something that you and I work for. The status is given. So you've heard me say this before when I talk to my children. I ask them two questions. I say, oftentimes, I say it to Hadley when I walk her across the street. I say, who loves you? And she says, my dad. You do. Why do I love you? Because I'm yours. I don't love her because of what she does or does. I love her because her status is that she is my daughter. And therefore, I love you. Not because of what you do, but just because who you are. If you are a follower of Christ, your status is given. And it's a status of power. And it's a status of blessing. And it is not one that you've earned, but you have it. May you breathe that in. Do you realize that three of the primary authors of the Bible were murderers? They're messed up people. What was good about them? Nothing. They were saved by the grace of God. David, if you're wondering, David, Moses wrote the Pentateuch. They were saved by God's grace, and they were appointed to lead, not because they were worthy, but because, simply because God bestowed his love upon them. That is Christianity. Who are we as a people? Our status is that we're a royal priesthood. You are daughters and sons of the Most High King. Isn't that amazing? He's not a king who just is far off. He comes to rescue, but then he establishes us with dignity and honor. Say that to one another. When you leave your house, say, I go out today as a son of the Most High King. Who doesn't want someone to sacrifice for them, give them something they don't deserve, and declare them Worthy and dignity, not just to declare something beautiful over them. Who doesn't want a benediction like that? That's why we're all scrambling on Facebook to see what I do and do what I don't do. And Instagram, we're posting. We want a benediction for someone to say, you are esteemed and loved. And the Lamb purchased that for you forever. That is your status. So where do we go from here? Um, how do we finish
I just want to give you two or three thoughts to take with you from why the Lamb is worthy. I hope you see that he is. The first one is um, did you ever wonder why God the Father didn't open the seal? He could have opened it. It was in his right hand. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why the Jesus, part of the Trinity, why did he do it? God could have opened it. I would offer this. Because the payment had to be made for our sins. And what I want you to walk away with is this, is that God has been lovingly pursuing. Someone had to pay the debt, and someone had to go get them, and someone had to ransom them. And he needed someone to do that to die. And so they offered, out of the truism of the Trinity, they offered Jesus. It had to be a God to do it. And God, here's what I want you to walk away with. God has been pursuing us and you with such, you have such a treasure possession of his, and he loves you so much that he moves towards you. In the garden, when they ate of the forbidden fruit, who came looking for them? It was God. And you know what? Whenever I, until about seven or eight years ago, when, when it says, God says, where are you, Adam? I always thought of that like, hey, where are you, Adam? How have you screwed this up? That's how I always thought of the tone. But you know what that tone was? The tone was that of love. Where are you, Adam? I'm coming for you. And what we learn here in the end is to the very end that God loved you so much that he has been coming for you the whole time. If Jesus doesn't come, then there is no salvation. So the Father lets him open. That's how loved you are. You have been pursued. And John has seen, I mean, when John heard the idea of, of uh, the, 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 the root of David and the root of Jesse and, the, and the Judah, he's the one who's coming, that he was the son of Judah. He's, he's like, oh, all this time, God has been working to come after us. Secondly, reorient yourself to the king. First, Think of his love. It's, it, it, this Christmas, his coming for you was love, and it was greater than you knew. Secondly, when he came as a child. Secondly, remember, reorient yourself to the king. Don't be like they were in Judges and live as if there's no king. I hope that this morning that you remember that he's worthy to trust. And so tomorrow you can trust him with everything. He is a king who is worthy. And then lastly, lastly, I would, um, I would offer, I want to make sure I, I say it well. pray that you would finally live in freedom under his rule. That John's vision was saying it is going to be okay. Not everything is okay that happens to us and around us. But when you and I begin to live, we'll be mindful this Christmas that when a child, came, when God humbled himself, was born in a manger, that he was saying to you and I, it is going to be okay if you're mine. I'm working it all out. May that resonate in our hearts. He really is worthy. Let me pray. God, as we um, sing this song of response this morning, would you grant us, um, would you grant it in a way for your believers that 
that um, could it just could we have a taste of what it was like in the vision? Would you let it go into our hearts and our minds that we would, as we sing this beautiful song, "Is He Worthy?" Would it would it resonate? Would it be a song of our heart today? Would you grant us that? And would your people begin to sing it? And could you let us taste of heaven in that way? I'm thankful that you are, you, Lord, we declare to you that you're worthy. And we, um, we love you in the name of Christ, we pray.